0: Yes, sir. Hey, I'm not ashamed of that, are you? Not at all. I'm not ashamed of our Savior. I'm not ashamed of people who get happy about being saved and going to heaven. And I thank God I'm one of that crowd. Praise the Lord. What a good song. Thank you all so much for singing for us tonight. All right, how many of you brought your Bible? It is 609, and we're in the book of Romans tonight, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you have an old Schofield Bible, that's page number 1206 in the Old Scofield Bible, the book of Romans chapter 12. And uh, this is job fair night, ministry fair, whatever you want to call that. But I want to preach a little bit about just getting involved tonight. And if you'll join me here in Romans chapter 12, and then we'll have prayer in a moment and go on over to the gym and to take care of some stuff over there tonight. Romans chapter number 12. Let me remind you of our service. On a Wednesday night, I have been preaching through the book of 2 Timothy and I've got to say I've been rather enjoying that just a little bit. And so Lord willing, uh, this coming uh, uh, Wednesday night, I want to preach again from the book of uh, 2 Timothy and hope you'll be here for that chapter 1. We're kind of getting toward the end of the chapter and hope you'll be here. But I've enjoyed that. It's got some good stuff in that chapter and especially for those of us as we live out the last days. And so I hope you'll be here for that at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. All right, Romans chapter 12. If you're there, would you say amen? Look at verse number one. Here's what the Bible said I beseech you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Sounds like to me God don't want us to be like the world that we're living in. By the way, can I say this? These old boys have got something this new crowd ain't got. Amen? I'm telling you, I, I, I'm I'm not against new music per se if it's based on the Word of God. But I tell you what, it's hard to beat that old-time singing like we just had there just a minute ago. And we're not to be conformed. Don't be like the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Hey, listen, too many of God's people and too many churches are being dictated by the world how we ought to worship in this day. And, friend, I tell you, I, I buck up against all that. I tell you, that old-time way will still get the job done in this day and age in which we live. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. The will of God is good for your life. The devil tries to tell us if we try to do what God wants us to do, we're going to wind up being miserable and just, just have a terrible life. But the Bible said just the opposite. Well, he's a liar, isn't he? He's a liar and the father of all lies, because the Bible said that to do the will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect for our life. I tell you, I want to be interested in doing the will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, here's some good, here's some good godly counsel. Paul said, I'm saying this, Uh, through the grace that's given to me, to every man among you. And then watch what he says. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Boy, that's true, isn't it? You know, the best of us in this room tonight is a zero with the rim knocked off. The best of us. I'm telling you, everybody in this room tonight ought to be still lost and on our way to hell and, uh, man, with nothing to look forward to whatsoever. But by the grace of God, we're saved and on our way to heaven tonight. Huh? Hey, let's don't ever get to the place that we we'll think we're way up here and everybody else is way down here. Hey, let's don't ever get to the place that we think we've arrived and everybody else is lagging behind because that's not the case. The Bible said, I think it's Galatians 6, verse 3, for if a man think of himself... More highly than he ought to think, he deceiveth himself. If you think you're somebody, you've done deceived yourself. If we're anything tonight, it's because of the grace of God. Amen. It's just because. If we're going to brag about anything tonight, let's just brag on the Lord Jesus. Yes, sir. Look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us where the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the, uh, the portion of faith. Then you read on, down, on through there, verse 7 and verse number 8, and he talks about some of the different gifts that God has gifted us with. All right, I'm preaching tonight simply. If I'm saved, why in the world? Am I so unhappy? If I'm saved, why am I so unhappy? Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Help us tonight, please. The verses already have just preached to us, just reading them, have already spoken to us. But I pray, Lord, as we just kind of scratch around in this text for a moment, that you would lay upon our hearts the purpose and the reason that we are saved. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you've been with us over the last several Sunday evenings, then you may recall that I've been preaching a little mini-series of sermons that I've entitled, If I'm Saved, Why Am I So Unhappy? Just once again, can I just remind us all that are saved tonight that the end result of being saved ought to produce happiness and joy in our life. When you and I got saved, by the way, how can you not be happy and have joy when you realize all of those sins that had you so weighted down in this walk of life have now been forgiven, and you stand in the sight of God justified through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you not be happy about that? How can you not have joy about that? You see, the Bible said anybody that puts their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus, the end result of that is happy, a happiness. Here's what the Bible said about that in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16 and verse 20, the last phrase there said, Whoso trusteth in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, how many of you are trusting in the Lord tonight? I'm trusting in the Lord to get me to heaven tonight. I'm trusting in the Lord to get me through this walk of life tonight. I'm trusting in the Lord to provide my needs tonight. And the Bible said, When you do that, read that last phrase. Happy. Is It hey, sounds like to me, He can't get any more clear than that, that if you're saved and trusting in the Lord, the end result ought to be happiness. We ought to have joy. In fact, there's a verse over in the Bible, and I haven't used this one yet, over in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8 that teaches us that to be saved produces joy in our life. The Bible said this, Whom having not seen, you love. Speaking of Jesus, I've never seen him, but I tell you what, I love him. What about you tonight? I've never seen him. I've never been like Thomas and thrust my fingers into the print uh, in his hands. I've never thrusted my hand into his side. I've never seen him. But I tell you what, I love him tonight. You pray for me. I want to love him more. The Bible said, Whom you haven't seen you love and whom though you now, now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hey, i tell you what, those of us who are trusting Jesus ought to have joy. Jesus wants you and me to live a life of joy. Can I say again, Jesus didn't leave heaven, come into this world, live for 33 years, die on the old rugged cross so that you and I could be miserable. He didn't do that. Instead, he came into this world in order for people who know him to have joy in their life. In fact, I've told you through this series of messages that Jesus wants you and I to have the same kind of joy that he had while he was in the world. Jesus, when he was in the world, was not a religious grouch or grump. Some of y'all need to kind of tell yourself once in a while that I'm not supposed to be a religious grouch or a religious grump. He was a joy to be around. Jesus was a happy Savior. That's the reason He was constantly being invited to a parties and weddings and feasts. And that's the reason we read oftentimes in the New Testament little children were trying to get around to Him because, can I tell you something? Little children know the difference between what's real and what's phony. And the reason they press little children want to be in His presence because He was a happy, joyful Savior. Then he looks at you and me and says, okay, the kind of joy that I have, that's the same kind of happiness and joy that I want you to have. In John 15 and verse number 11, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy, my joy, the same kind of joy that I've got might be in you, remain in you, and that your joy might be half full. Now that's what them funky Bibles say, half full. But the King James says that our joy might be what? I mean, not up to your chin in joy, not up to your eyeballs in joy, not up to your hairline in joy, but your whole life might be full of joy. You know, Jesus, while he was here on this earth, had a continuous joy. While he was here on earth, he had a contagious joy. While he was here on earth, he had a conspicuous joy in spite of everything that was going on in his life. And you talk about battles and problems in his life. I mean, he was constantly being tempted by the devil. He was constantly being attacked. He was constantly being uh, facing the hatred and the deprivation. But in spite of all of that, guess what? Jesus had joy. And I know you're being attacked. I know you face temptations. I know there are hardships in this walk of life. But in spite of all that, down deep on the inside, there still ought to be a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Yes, Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. Salvation ought to produce joy. In our life, Jesus wants us to have joy. God the Father wants us to have joy. The Bible said the Holy Spirit wants us to have joy. When you got saved, God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, moved into your heart and into your life, and then he goes to work on us immediately, wanting to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is this. The Bible said the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the very next one is what? Joy. If you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and you're miserable tonight, can I tell you something? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit wants to do something more for you than just produce misery in your life. God wants us to have joy. We read over in Psalm 16 in verse number 11 that in thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, if all that I've just told you is true, and it is, can I ask you something? Why is there so many miserable Christians, Why are there more joyless Christians than there are joyful Christians? One of the greatest qualities you and I can ever possess as a child of God. Let me just say this. To be a good advertisement for Christ and a good advertisement for Christianity, we've got to have some joy. This world don't want to look around and see a dry, dull, dead religion. They don't want to see that. You ever been in a dead church before? I'll tell you, if you don't like what we got around here, I pray God will sentence you to six months in a dead church somewhere. <laughs> because when you get somewhere and there's no life and there's no shouting and there's no happiness, I'm going to tell you something, friend. It makes you want to get back where that is. Now, I know, I know. We got a little fire here at our church, and I thank God for that. And when we have a fire, I know it attracts, it, it attracts all kind of people. It really, you ever had a fire at night? Or maybe turn the porch light on and get back, and every bug in the county is sitting on the door waiting for you to get home. They're attracted to that light. And I know, I get it, I understand we have all kinds of people in our church, but can I tell you, I thank God the reason they're here is because they feel there's a little bit of light going on around here. There's a little bit of heat going on around here, and, and they're attracted to this because I'm telling you, if we're going to, if we're going to attract people in these last days, we're not going to do it walking around with a tombstone under one arm and a coffin under the other arm. No, sir. We're going to have to have joy in our hearts. Well, i tell you, a fellowship that's growing tonight, a church that's growing is a church that has joy. When folks walk in here, I think they ought to see people shaking hands, having a good time. I think they ought to see people slapping each other on the back. I think they ought to see people hugging each other's neck. They ought to see people laughing and having a good time. I'm telling you, this world don't want anything that's dull and dry and dead. They're looking for something that's got a little life to it, a little joy about it. So why is there so little joy? Well, what I've been trying to do over these past several Sunday nights is kind of through the process of elimination, try to figure out why there's so many joyless Christians. And we've just kind of just taken a subject every Sunday night. And uh, for instance, our our first Sunday night, I said, maybe the reason that there's no joy in your heart is because of an unsure salvation. Listen, how in the world can you be happy over a salvation you're not sure you possess? I mean that's kind of common sense, isn't it? That's North Surrey talking there. But I mean, how can you be happy? How can you have joy over a salvation that you don't even know that you got? So maybe tonight, maybe you sit here and say, "Preacher, this dying and going to heaven stuff." I'm not even sure if I die tonight, I'd go to heaven. No wonder you don't have joy in your life. But I'll tell you what, the Bible said when you get Jesus in your heart, it produces joy. You remember what Jesus told those disciples in Luke chapter 10 when they come back from that great revival meeting? And Jesus said, how's it going? Oh, they said, Jesus, you ought to have been with us. It's been wonderful. He said, they said, why, even the spirits are subject unto us. It's great. Jesus said, don't you get excited about that. Jesus said, what you ought to get excited about and have joy about is your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. And let me tell you something, friend. When you get saved and God writes you, name down in the book, there ought to be some joy in your heart. But maybe you're not having any joy because you're unsure of salvation. What about this? Not only an unsure salvation, but what about unconfessed sin? Can I ask you something? Is there something going on in your life right now, now that ought not be going on? Is there something in your life right now that is contrary to the will of God and contrary to the Word of God, for your heart and your life right now, I'm telling you, you'll never have joy when, when you're trying to serve God with one hand and hang on to the world and the devil with the other hand. It just don't work that way, friend. If you've got dirt in your heart, you're going to have drought in your soul. Unconfessed sin will keep us. Is there something going on in your life you're hanging on to and you won't give it to God? Is there some kind of sin that's going on in your life right now that you're hanging on to and you won't turn loose and confess it to God? Oh, brother, I'm telling you, you're never going to have joy as long as you're unconfessed sin. So watch this, unsure salvation, unconfessed sin. What about this? An unforgiving spirit. But I'm going to tell you, you're never going to have joy because there's no such thing as a bitter, happy Christian. We've all been hurt before, have we not? Life comes along, knocks a, hits you right in the gut, knocks a breath out of you. Somebody hurts you, says something about you. Somebody does something to you, takes something that rightfully belongs to you. Well, we've all been hurt before. People come along and hurt us, and that's a part of life. And when that happens, we get angry about it. And many times when we let that anger lay around in our heart, it, it festers, it gets infected, and it turns into bitterness. And, buddy, when bitterness grabs its bags and walks into your heart, joy grabs its bags and walks out of your heart. Hey, when bitterness walks in the front door, joy picks up its bags and walks out the back door of your heart. Is there somebody that's hurt you? Is there somebody that's done you wrong and you just say, Oh, I'm so mad. Oh, I'm mad at them. And you won't forgive that, then you're not going to have joy. But lastly, or I don't know, maybe... I may have another one or two of these before it's over. i just got to do some thinking. But can I say this? Maybe the reason you don't have joy is because of this. An unfulfilled service. An unfulfilled service. I was reading this week, and boy, I've got to say this fast, but I was reading an article by a psychologist, and I need some psychological help, trust me. But I was reading this article, and he said this that for people to have true inward happiness, there must be three things in their life. Here's what he said. Number one, you have to have somebody to love. Number two, you have to have something to look forward to. And number three, you have to have something to do. Now you stop and think about that. Is that a sermon in itself? That psychologist said, if you're going to really have joy in your heart, happiness in your life, number one, you've got to have somebody to love. Now I do. I got a wife to love, and I thank God for my wife. I got children to love. I've got grandchildren to love. I got a church family to love. But most of all, can I tell you this? I got a Savior to love tonight. I got okay. Check that one off. I got somebody to love. What about that second one? You got to have something to look forward to. Well, I, I mean, we got something to look forward to. Someday I'll cross the river, cross the river, and step off on that. Be- hey, I got something to look forward to over there. Now, my daddy's going to be mad at me. I'm going to have to get over that because I didn't do what he said about all that money. But he's going to get mad at me about that. But I'll be, it'll be all right. It'll be okay, Jesus will say, I'll just run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you got to take care of my daddy. He's mad at me right now. But can I tell you something? I've got something to look forward to. I'm not looking forward to dying, but thank God. I'll tell you what, I know when I die where I'm going. I've got a, some loved ones over yonder they sang about. i got a Savior to see over there. I've got an eternity li- Oh, yeah, don't worry about me. i got something to look forward to. But what about something to do? You see, a lot of people may not really experience the joy that God intended for them to have because they don't have anything to do. Now, I've got to tell you this, and I'm not saying this harshly. I'm saying this with love in my heart. But if you're a member of Woodland Baptist Church and you're not doing something, It's because you don't want to do something. It's not because there's not anything to do. It's because you just don't want to do something. I mean, if you sit here in this room tonight and you're a member of our church, can I just say this tonight? You ought to be engaged actively in doing something around here for God's glory. I mean, there's so much to do around here. It is unbelievable. And I tell you, just like every church, it seems like that little handful, carries the weight. That little handful carries the load. You know, some people say to see the size of our church and they say, we don't need to go over there. They got enough people over there to take care of everything. Are you kidding me? I mean, our little crowd that takes care of things around here may be a little bit larger because our church is somewhat a little bit larger. But I got to tell you something, we're just like every other church. We're starving to death for workers here at Woodland. I mean, if you're not involved in doing something, it's because you don't want to do it. Because there's plenty around here to do. Well, let's do this. It is 6:29. Look at our text tonight. I want to show you tonight three things from this text about serving God. First of all, I want you to look at verse number three. And can I say this? Number one, grace enables us to serve grace enables us. Look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me that every man that is among you. Then he goes on to say, now don't you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But you think soberly. You remember what God did for you. And you are today, right now, what you are and where you are because of God's great work of grace in you. then he goes on to say this, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I will tell you, I am saved by by grace tonight. You're saved by grace. But can I tell you something? God not only gave me the grace to be saved, but God gave me the faith to receive the grace to be saved. If you're lost tonight, there's no reason for you to be lost. You say, I just don't know if I can muster up enough faith to be saved. The Bible said right here, God will give it to you. Can I have an amen? Amen. The Bible said in verse number 3, God dealt to every man the measure of faith. So God not only said, okay, I'm going to give you the grace to save you, but I'm going to give you the faith to receive the grace that is required to save you. No, we're without excuse, friend. There's nobody in here that can't believe. The problem is you won't believe. God even gives us, I'm, I'm, I'm off my subject now, and now I'm mad. But I'm off my subject. But I'm just telling you, if you're not saved tonight, it's not because you can't be saved. It's because you won't be saved. Because God said, I'll not only supply the grace that you need to save you, I'll even give you the faith to receive the grace. Grace enables us to be saved. But let me tell you, when God saved you and me, gave us faith and then the grace to be saved, God had a purpose behind that. Look at this verse right here. The Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Watch this. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. I agree with that. I agree with all the Bible. But it's not according to our works. But according, read it now, to his own purpose and grace. Now, wait a minute. That that verse tells me, among many things, that God had a purpose for saving me. And God had a purpose for saving you. And by the way, that purpose was not just so one day I could go to heaven and live with him. If that would have been the case, God would have just saved me so I could have went to heaven. Can I tell you this? He ought to have just, just got the heavenly vacuum cleaner out and just just sucked me right up when he saved me. You know why? I sure have given him a lot of problems since I've been saved. God could have saved himself a lot of trouble if, if, if his whole purpose for saving us was just carried us to heaven. Why don't he just reach down and just snatch us out of the world when he saves us? because it would save him a lot of grief. How many of y'all give God problems and trouble since you've been saved? I mean, honestly. Now, don't you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think because I'm going to tell you something, there ain't no one of us in this room that ain't given him a bunch of trouble since we got saved. But you know why God puts up with our problems and our trouble? I'll tell you why. He's got a purpose for us. A purpose for us in this world. And that purpose is that we might work for Him. Look at this verse. Ephesians 2, verse number 10, says this For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Read the next word with me. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Him. Now, we're not saved by our works. I get that. Nobody's saved. Ephesians two eight and nine, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not according to works, lest any man should if our work saved us when we got to heaven, we could get there and say, Man, I look what I did to get me here. But we're not going to be able to say that. You're not going to say, we're going to say, Look at Jesus. Thank God for what he did to get me here. It's not according to our works. But then after we get saved, the Bible expects us to work. For God, in other words, the whole reason God saved you was not just to carry you to heaven. It was to serve Him. That's why you exist. Now, I get it. Can I tell you this? I think maybe some of the reason that people don't work after they get saved is because us preachers are always preaching against a work salvation. I get that. I think maybe some of the fault of that can be laid at the foot of the pulpit because we're always telling people, you work your fingers to the bones and you still won't get saved. Your works can't save you. Your works will not get you into heaven. And we preach so much against it. I think when people get saved, they say, man, it ain't no use for me to work. It ain't dependent on me. It's dependent on him. And we preach so much against that that I will tell you, I think people carry that notion into their saved life. It ain't no use for me working. It's all up to him. But can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? While it is true that salvation always precedes the call to service, it is also true that salvation never comes without the call to service. There's so much to do around here. Listen to this. You want something to do? Drive a bus, knock a door, wipe a nose, change a diaper, hold a baby, shake a hand, pass out a bulletin a child, play an instrument, pass a plate, park a car, hold a song book, drive a nail, paint a wall, cook a meal, plus a hundred and thousand other things that can be do. There's something to do. If you ain't doing it, it's because you don't want to because grace enables us to serve. Number two, look again at our text, verse 6. Grace enables us. Number two, gifts equip us to serve. Look down at verse 6. Having then gifts. Now, what's that? What's the preacher Explainify that. What's those gifts? Well, that's spiritual gifts. You see, when God saved us, God gave us a spiritual gift, a spiritual tool to use for his honor and for his glory. You know, in our day, we hear a lot about gifted children. They want to know. They call up here to school and say, do you all have those accelerated classes for gifted students, gifted children? Can I tell you something? When it comes to God, there ain't no such thing as a a non-gifted child. Because when you got saved, when you received Christ, God at that very moment gave you a spiritual birthday present in the form of a spiritual gift. Now, you've got to figure out what your spiritual gift is. I think if I've got them counted correctly, there are 27 of them mentioned in the New Testament, 27 different spiritual gifts that are mentioned throughout the New Testament, and God gave you one. In some cases, God gives people two or three spiritual gifts, and then God said, okay, here's your spiritual tool. Use it in the ministry of my church. I didn't realize this, but when God saved me, God gave me the spiritual gift of pastoring and teaching. Boy, I'm glad I didn't know it then. You know why I'd had a heart attack and died right after I got saved. But God, though He gave me that when I got saved, it took years for me to discover that gift. It took years for me to develop that gift. It's taking years for me now to deploy that gift inside of the church of the Lord Jesus. I mean, buddy, after I figured out, okay, I discovered God called me to preach and He wanted me to pastor and, and to be a, a teacher of the Word of God, then I had to go to work and start developing that gift. So I got me some books and, and I went off to Bible college at night and then I, I started listening to other preachers preach and figured out how they did it. And then I, I got busy working on all that and then every chance I got, whether it was on the front door of somebody's house, a restaurant, in the back of a pickup truck in a crowded shopping mall, parking lot, or wherever... I went to business. I went uh, to uh, to started preaching and trying to develop that gift, and then y'all called me to preach over here and said, "Hey, preacher, come over here and use that gift on us." And for the past 20, how many years have I been here now? 23 years of my life, I've been using that gift on you, boy. And I know some of y'all will be glad when I get my gift and go somewhere else to use it. But can I tell you what? That's how it works. And guess what? God gave you one of those gifts. And God wants you to use that gift. Hey, look, can I tell you something? Spiritual gifts are not a toy for you to enjoy. God didn't give you that gift so you could just go home and use it on yourself. It's my spiritual toy. God gave you that gift not as a toy to enjoy but as a tool to employ in the ministry of the church. What's your gift? I'll tell you what most people are gifted with. It's the gift of helps. The gift of helps. That's most people's, that's the most common spiritual gift that people possess in the church, the gift of helps. Just being used of God to be a blessing and a help to others. This, uh, God has not only grace, not only enables us to serve, gifts equip us to serve, and I'm done. We have got to go. You're listening too good. Look at verse 1. God expects us to serve. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, would you read this next phrase? By the mercies of God. Hey, did you receive mercy? Grace gives us what we don't deserve, mercy keeps us from getting what we do deserve. Paul said, I want to make an appeal to you on the basis of the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then look at this last phrase, which is your reasonable sa-. Can I put that in kind County language? It's the least you can do to serve God. God expects me and you to serve. I want to close with this, but, you know, maybe one of the reasons you're not happy is because you're not doing what God made you to do. I have a missionary friend of ours. His name is uh, uh, Brother Bill Tucker. Brother Tucker, for many years, was uh, a missionary to the Mormon states out of the Midwest, like Utah and and uh, those heavily populated Mormon states. So he went out there and he started independent, fundamental Bible-believing Baptist churches in those Mormon strongholds. And boy, he faced a lot of persecution. He really suffered. He is a good man. And he started churches in different states in Mormon territory preaching the gospel, trying to get people saved. So uh, while he was out there, he picked up a coon dog habit. And when I say that, I mean, he started... He he fell in love with coon dogs. And so... uh, he started hunting coon dogs. He'd buy one. What are they? Them things are expensive. Them blue tick, uh, those uh, red bone, blue tick, walkers, whatever. They're, they're, man, they're expensive. But he started getting those coon dogs. But I never will forget, he told me one time, he said, uh, I got a box on the back of my truck. And he said, when I go coon hunting, I have to take those coon dogs and put them put them in them boxes and carry them to wherever we're going to go. And he said, i got to tell you, there are times I have to stop the truck and separate them coon dogs because they're back there just fighting and just going at one another and biting and barking and growling at one another. And then he said this, but you know why? Coon dogs ain't made for boxes. Coon dogs are made for chasing coons. And can I tell you something? God didn't make you just to sit on a church seat. God didn't save you. Maybe that's the reason you're always biting at everybody and barking at them. And you just want to bike and bark all the time? Look at me. Get out of the box and get in the field. Because coon dogs ain't made for boxes. Coon dogs are made to chase coons. And Watch me. Come up here. God didn't make you to sit in a box. God wants you out of here chasing coons. That's right. You take that however you want to take it. God's got a job for us to do, and we ain't never going to be happy trying to sit in a box when God's made us to do something else. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer.